Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Just a quick note before we get started that this is part of our Blast from the Past series, where we celebrate one of the incredible women in tech from our archive. And if you're a new listener or you're just looking to be inspired, dig into the back catalog. There are literally hundreds of stories to choose from. Enjoy the episode. I didn't want to be that person that had hit the peak of my life at 29. And so then when I stepped back and thought, well, okay, now what? That's when it kind of came to me to do something different. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. This is Z Holly, guest hosting for Esprit Devora, And I'm so excited to have Maria Burns-Artiz on the show today. She's the founder of a company called Seven Generation Games. And I can't wait to learn more about her journey into this intersection between tech and gaming and really making a difference in the world. Welcome to Women in Tech. Thank you so much. Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, just tell everybody a little bit about your company. So I'm Maria Burns-Ortiz. I'm co-founder and CEO of Seven Generation Games. And at Seven Generation Games, we make video games that teach math um, using social studies as the storyline. We incorporate a little bit of language arts in English and Spanish. And we're talking real video games, like immersive 3D virtual worlds. So how does, let's say, if I'm playing a game, how do I actually learn math playing a game? So we put it in context, you know, real world applications. So equations don't just fall from the sky that you need to answer. But, you know, you have, you know, 160 miles to your next set of supplies, eight days to get there. How many miles do you need to cover a day or else, you know, you die? Virtual death, but still (laughs) death. Putting a little bit of uh, <laughs> pressure on the person to learn math. That's good. Um, and so you you create the games. How many games do you have? We have five games right now. We have two more coming out the end of this year. So the end of 2017 and then two more coming out early in 2018. So tell me a little bit about your role. You're CEO, co-founder. Mm-hmm. When did you start the company and, and kind of what what is your role within the company as CEO mm-hmm. within the title? CEO is kind of the person that does nine million different things. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so we started the the idea we kind of really started going all working on in 2013, early 2013, uh, we all went all in. So myself, I have, I have two co-founders now. We have, you know, a team, but we went all in full time 2015. And I run the kind of creative aspect. My other two co-founders are developers, so they're technical founders. But, you know, we all work on all kind of parts. We are definitely collaborative. Um, but I run the creative team. So narrative, game design um, and the art team. I don't make the art, but I deal with the art. <laughs> so were you a game designer beforehand? Were you like kind of what got you into this and what got you into tech? Yeah. Um, no, I was not a game designer, but uh, I was a writer. I actually very early on, I was a journalist. Um, I wrote a, a New York Times bestseller after that and then kind of decided 
I wanted to do something more. I was working in sports media and so I was covering social media and sports. I'd kind of gotten into tech through through the journalism end. Um, but I just I was covering things at one point like athletes arguing over Twitter. And that was not what my goal <laughs> in life was, I realized one day. And I didn't have that Jerry Maguire like I quit in the middle. Epiphany was a little bit of a slower process, I think, because it is mm-hmm. for more pe- most people. Um, but my co-founders were looking to start this company and they're like, you know, we know you can write. We know you're creative. We know come and join in on this idea. And I said, okay, let's do it. And so I had not designed a game at that point, but now I've got almost nine to my name. So I feel like I've built that up. (laughs) Amazing. So from a writer to a game designer and CEO of a tech company, how did you actually, you know, what, what were some of the steps in entering that world? You know, well, I'd been, like I said, I'd been kind of not working actively in tech, but I had an idea of a lot of things that were going on. I mean, I knew some basic tech stuff. Um, And I, you know, I think a lot of it was, and it's interesting, I was thinking about maybe should I go to business school because I really wanted to change it. And my co-founder was like, well, just come and build a company and you'll get a lot of the experience you would get there. But instead of paying a lot of money, you, you well, you probably will end up putting in a lot of money anyway, but Mm -hmm. building something out. So I don't want to say a lot of it was learning along the way, uh, but it probably was. <laughs> <laughs> what would your advice be to a woman who was interested in getting into tech based on this experience? Yeah, my thing is, I would say go for it, but it not just, you know, look before I would say look before you leap at the same time. You know, it's not just like I want to do it and I'm quitting my job tomorrow and I'm going all in. It's kind of like I said, we spent two years I wouldn't say easing our way into it, but working on it on the side before we thought, okay, we're starting to get traction. We're starting to get funding. We've got these things that are making it like we can go and do it. Um, but at the same time, I think you need to because a lot of people will say, well, you can't do that. You've never made a game before. You've never done this before, but you've never done anything until my mom always used, always says, you know, and she says she stole this from a movie. I can't remember, but there's no history of something having happened until it does. And then there is, you know, mm-hmm. so a lot of people will say, well, why can you go and do that? What makes you think you can? Um, I think I can. So that's kind of my advice is, do you think you can do it? If you think you can do it or figure out how to do it, then then try it. And then, you know, if it's working, then ignore everyone who says you can't do it and go for it. It's about the stories you tell yourself, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and making yourself believe it. Um, and so what's, what would you say is your calling? You know, I, I think that what I'm doing is my calling as weird as it sounds. Um, we're, like I said, we're not just making video games. So we're making video games that teach kids and we're making them for all kids, whether they're kids that live in the inner city or kids like my kids that live in Santa Monica or kids that live in developing countries. And we have built these games out so that they can run on a lot of different systems that they can take into account the fact that maybe you don't have high-speed internet at your house or, you know, hardly any internet at your house. Um, so we've taken into account a lot of those things. And, and like I said, our goal is not just to develop really fun games, but to engage kids and teach math because we know that, and, and the data shows that better math outcomes result in better life outcomes. And to have the ability to try and do that and make that difference. Um, I, it's one of those things where I feel a lot better going to sleep at night than I did when I was writing about athletes mm-hmm, arguing mm-hmm. over Twitter. <laughs> and so when did you realize that it was really when you were doing that piece, the kind of writing about social media 
you know, well, part of it was too, is I had, and I were I had a column at ESPN. So I, but my whole life, you know, my whole life up until, you know, that point. So I was, you know, I wasn't even 30 then, but when I was growing up, I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to, to do that. And then I got into sports and I really, really wanted to work at ESPN. And then I got, you know, I started writing for them when I was like 23. And by the time I was 29, I was kind of like, well, what now? Because you plan your whole life around something. And then it wasn't that it was a huge letdown. It was fun while I did it. But I didn't want to be that person that had hit the peak of my life at 29. And so then when I stepped back and thought, well, okay, now what? That's when it kind of came to me to do something different. And maybe I wanted to do something more impactful. And, and you know, you, you, you look at the world and I, I have three small children and I'm not making the games for her per se because she's going to be fine her math skills are going to be you know good she she's got parents who have uh you know education um but i look at what is the world that my kids are going to inherit and how can i try and make a difference there and that's where the name comes from it, it is well it's kind of we started actually working with um native american populations so oh. that's initially where we started and there's this a tribal belief that you don't just look at the impact that you have today or the next generation but seven generations from now and so we thought that's a really good goal that's really inspiring when um what was the biggest challenge that you've had in trying to pursue this calling you have a money (laughs) because you can't build a company no matter how passionate you are and excited you are uh, I haven't figured out how to build a company without money because developers they want to be paid and you know even the places, your web hosting services, everybody, you know, needs money. My landlord, they want money. So finding funding for it, especially because when you go out and say, you know, my goal, what we're trying to build is a company that will teach kids, especially kids in, say, low-income communities, math and change their lives. And uh, people hear that and they think, well, that's a really good mission, but I but I want to make money. Right, exactly. But I want to make money. And we are big believers in you can do good in the world and do well financially. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was finding other folks um, or in our case, federal agencies who believed in that as well and funded us to do that. And ed-, ed tech is a really, really slow process. It takes years to establish a new product in education often. And so that was also working against us. But so how did you raise, uh, yeah. you said, uh, federal agencies? Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. So we decided after kind of meeting with some investors that were not that thrilled about our idea, um, who, you know, now people are a lot more interested because we have money and games to our name. But um, we said, OK, well, we're going to find a way to do this. And so we applied for the Small Business Innovation and Research Awards through the federal government. Every agency has to offer a certain amount if they make enough, if they get enough federal money um, to create products. And and we ended up applying. I said we're working in rural communities, native communities. So we applied through the Department of Agriculture for rural and economic development um, to get money to make the uh, games that we're doing. So we did. They gave it to us. It's not nearly as easy as a lot of people think. It's not like the government wants to give you free money. You know, those commercials, if you've ever seen them. No, it's it's I'd say as hard as fundraising, if not harder. But in our case, it paid off, so we were happy with it. Was it. Plus, non-dilutive. Exactly. exactly, yeah. So, yeah, we got $1.3 million in non-dilutive capital, which means we not only got the money, but we didn't have to give anything up to Amazing. get it. Amazing. And, and then, presumably, that would be appealing to the, now to investors because then they get lots of leverage on their investment. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, as I said, you know, in the beginning, people weren't that interested, but now they're a lot more interested because you've got mm-hmm. this money, you own a big, big chunk of the company, and— 
we have, you know, all the things that they want, like growth. And what did you learn from the challenges, challenges that you faced raising money or, or whatever? What, what was the biggest lesson that you learned? We learned to be creative. I think we learned that, you know, find a different way. If someone tells you no, then find something else. So we, like I said, we did the grant money. We also did Kickstarter. We raised over $90,000 on Kickstarter. Oh, wow. We use that not just as a financial vehicle, but also a marketing tool because that's how people find out about you. And But that's no small feat. That takes yeah, a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, all those things take a lot of effort, but at the same time, so does going that traditional fundraising route where you're pitching to investors all the time and things like that. So we looked at it and we thought, you know, and let's be honest, as a women in tech podcast, we have, we have three founders, but one of our founders is like, I just want to be the guy that has headphones on and no one ever talks to and I will program and he's amazing. So we let him do that. Uh, you know, so the two founders that are out raising money, doing all the business development, those kind of things, we're two Latino women, right? We're not the kind of folks that people are throwing money at um, because, you know, less than 3% of women get VC funding. I don't think Latinas are even on the numbers, you know? So we realized that we had to do something different, that what everybody else was telling us and what people were doing wasn't probably going to work for us because we are, you know, you don't even have to be doing math games to look at the numbers and realize they're against you. So we figured let's do something different. And it created ways that we were able to do things that put us in better positions than people that maybe went that traditional route. That's great. Definitely throwing away the script because then it gives you almost a competitive advantage because you're tapping into something that other people aren't tapping into if you figure that out. Exactly. That's really cool. So um, have you had a mentor in this process? You know, we we've had a lot of people. I think your mentors change as your company grows. Right. So we've had people in the beginning that we would go to and say, well, what do you think we should do right now? We have a really, really good sales mentor um, who is also an investor um, who really helps us out. Um, we don't have I don't think and we've talked about this a lot. You know, we don't have one person that's kind of like the guiding hand that's giving us kind of a pat along the way. But we've had a lot of people that we can turn to about very, very specific things and questions. And that makes a difference. And like I said, as you grow, your challenges and your problems grow. So those people have changed. You're in L.A. So is there a reason you're in L.A.? And kind of how has that influenced the way you've grown your business? So we're in L.A. in part because my two co-founders were here. I was looking at where to move and I'm originally from here. So it was kind of a no brainer to come back. And we all think that it's the greatest place on the face <laughs> of the earth. Yay. Um, but also it's kind of a different vibe. You know, everyone thinks that Silicon Valley is the end all be all. And and actually, that's where we moved down here from. We spent a year up there and I just like it. It's a little bit more laid back. It's a better fit for us and for our company. And uh, you have a lot of the resources. The tech scene here is growing and I would say very vibrant, but it doesn't seem to be as, and I don't know if cutthroat is the right word, but sometimes I think it is. It's, you know, I feel like in Silicon Valley, if people get money, it doesn't seem like a lot of other people are happy for them, you know, <laughs> whereas really? I, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it, oh, they got money. Why didn't I? And, but here I think it's a lot more welcoming, inclusive, and, you know, it's not easier, but. I think it's great. It's interesting. It's, it's much more diverse. The industries are diverse, too. So people mm -hmm. can appreciate they don't feel jealous because they're not doing the same thing. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. I think in Silicon Valley, everybody's in tech. We're in L.A. People are in tech, but you have people in Hollywood. And you have people in kind of doing lots of different things. So it's not all encompassing. You don't go to, you know, a cocktail party and people are like, oh, so did you hear about this IPO? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. Definitely. There's there's a strength in that. And there's also. Yeah, it's different. Um, is there another woman in tech? either here or elsewhere, that really inspires you? 
I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say my co-founder. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, Ambria DeMars. Uh, she's amazing. Like I said, you know, she has a PhD in education psychology. She's kind of our grant genius. So she writes the grants for us um, and gets them funded. So I think that's, let me tell you, a godsend right there. Um, and kind of has led the way for me in terms of, you know, the example to set. Um, because, you know, don't ever let anyone tell you no and don't ever let anyone say you can't do that. And not only is she a Latina in tech, but she's over 50 and the things that people say you can never do. Well, she doesn't listen to them because she thinks they're stupid. <laughs> What's next for you? We are releasing more games. So we have five right now. We have two games coming out in the next month. So uh, it's kind of we're actually past that insane point where everything's got to get done. And we're kind of now testing it and making sure it works. Um, and then more games on that. Two more in early 2018 and an empire coming from there. Awesome. Awesome. How do people learn more? The best way to learn more is go to our website, which is www.seven, like the number seven, generationgames.com. And that's games, plural, sevengenerationgames.com. Awesome. You know, it's really inspiring to hear from you and to see the path that you've taken really from from a very non, non-tech background and then become this tech CEO founder. And not only are you successful raising money, building these games, but also really impacting the world. So thank you. It's been great having you on. Thanks so much. If you love this conversation and want to hear more stories from inspiring founders, you might also check out my podcast, The Art of Manufacturing. It's a behind the scenes look at how entrepreneurs who make stuff are trying to make it in their industries. Tune in at artofmfg.com or search for The Art of Manufacturing on your favorite podcast player. This is Z Holly in for Esprit Devora. Thanks for listening to Women in Tech. Bye, guys. This episode of the Women in Tech show is powered by UpGuard. UpGuard's discovery engine brings visibility to complex IT environments, enabling teams to quickly identify risk, confirm compliance, and make business safer. They are proud supporters and employers of incredible women in tech. The Women in Tech podcast is an independent production funded by you, the community. To support Women in Tech, if you believe in the vision as much as we do, please consider going to womenintechpodcast.com. That's womenintechpodcast.com and just click on the contribution link to keep this podcast going. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.